So welcome back to the show, everyone. And uh, welcome, Yudi. How you doing, man? I'm good. How are you, Nathan? Yeah, do you know what? I'm, I'm all right. I've got I've got stories to tell this week. But before before I do that, I want to send my love to uh, Aberi Eze, who's recently hurt his Achilles and looks like he's going to be out for a period of time. And he's a friend of mine, friend of the show, and somebody who I think most people really enjoy watching. So sending my love to you, man. Hopefully you get be- you get better real soon. Get but well soon. Get well real soon. And back to it. So my week then. Can I tell you a story? Is it good? Yes. Yeah, of course. You think I you think I like tell a story on a here that's not a good story? <laughs> I I want to back you. All right. Just okay. Begin. Okay. Cool. So for everybody, you know, most people that know me through this podcast, they knew me as a player. But I've got to say, from this moment, I've fully gone to the other side. Okay. So. Uh, last week, someone from Premier League Productions reached out to me and said uh, they've got an interview coming up next week and they'd like me to do the interview with someone. And I was like, okay, that's interesting. And it came off the back of this podcast. So shout out to everybody listening. Like, it's amazing how many opportunities I'm getting based in, based on people who listen to the show. So shout out to all you guys. So they said, yeah, okay, can you do that? So I was like, oh, so who is it? Well, yeah, um, we want you to speak with Sergio Aguero next week at the training ground in his last... Uh, so I spoke with Sergio Aguero in the last week of his Man City Premier League career. And the wildest thing about it was my only concern, because the questions were kind of sent to me and I, I kind of like changed them a little bit. But my only concern was, if this man does not remember who I am, this will be one of the worst <laughs> interviews in the history of mankind. <laughs> So it was, uh, it was sketchy. It was sketchy. So I had all the questions lined up and all that stuff. And we were at the training ground. Like it's crazy to go back to that training ground. Like it, it's special, you know what I mean? And obviously it was late. Cause I remember that whole side of players being late and stuff, but all the whole while I'm thinking, ah, man, this, this, this could go either way. This could really, really go either way. When you walked in, did he ruffle your hair and try and sign your notes or? <laughs> not quite because we were waiting in the, um we went in the room for ages like we're talking hours got there at half 11 I didn't speak to him till three you know those ones but yeah he, he he walked in and he looked and i took my mask down a little bit and he's like yeah how you doing man i was like yes yes <laughs> yes this is this is huge yes and it was so much fun and it was, to be fair, it was a bit of an honor doing it because I remember like Sergio Aguero, Sergio Aguero, you know what I mean? The guy scored 258 goals. It's kind of nuts. a big deal. Yeah, it's kind of a big deal. So yeah, but it kind of confirmed that I'm on the other side now because I'm being asked to interview people and I never thought I'd be that guy, but I'm, I'm fully that guy because, you know, I do this show and it's for them, but I'm being headhunted by others to speak to others. And that's like, I've gone. I've, there's no coming back now. I can't come out of retirement. I've fully gone the other way. No, you're, you're, you're a civilian now. You're a media civilian now. <laughs> yeah, I'm, uh, I wouldn't go that far, but I'll say I, I'm definitely becoming more of a broadcast type. To just be in the room with other broadcasters, it was uh, it was certainly interesting. And I, spoke, and I spoke to Lucy, my wife, today, and I was saying, while we're out and about now, if somebody ever comes up to us and asks what I do, I can't say I'm a former professional footballer. I have to say I'm a broadcaster. <laughs> like, wow, my life has changed. But speaking yeah, of broadcasters... Okay. Speaking of broadcasters, today's show then, it's with a woman called Siobhan Chamberlain. Have you heard of her before? I have not, I'll be honest. Okay, that's that's interesting. And it kind of feeds into the stuff which I've learned through this, through this recording. Because she's somebody who played over 250 career games in the WSL. And she's also played 50 times for England. Goalkeeper for England. So 50 games for England, that's incredible. Yeah. 
She's mm-hmm. got such an incredible story because she retired last year. So she's basically been around for the real significant growth of the WSL. And to hear about what things were actually like is nuts because you might be like me and remember the sort of Arsenal era where you had like Kelly Smith, Rachel Yankees and so on, dominating everyone every single year, like licks to everyone. But (laughs) when you really find out what was going on, things weren't as rosy as say maybe they could have been. So that's who we spoke to. uh, That's who I spoke to today. And also I forgot to mention one other thing. And this is this is me where I messed up completely. So I apologize, I apologize, Siobhan. I forgot to mention she's currently doing a master's in sporting directorship. So it sound, sure sounds to me like she's trying to get back into the game. Yeah, hint, hint, nudge, nudge, wink, wink. But yeah, <laughs> please. I know you should you should know Siobhan, but by the end of this, you'll really know her and understand her story. So please, like everybody else, please sit back and enjoy as Siobhan Chamberlain talks about her career. And later on in the podcast, you make sure you stay tuned in talks about the growth of women's football. Hello, hello, hello. Hello, how are you? I'm very good, thanks. How are you? Good, thank you. Thank you. Sorry, I've just painted my nails, so I can't touch anything. Oh, that's fine, that's fine, that's fine, that's fine, that's fine. That's as real as it gets. That's what I love to see. (laughs) You having a good day? It's the only time I have time to do anything. Um, No. Yeah, what happened today? Yeah, no, good. Not bad. Not bad. It's been a long day. I went for a run at six o'clock. I'm mental. How far did you go? Only 5k. There's no only 5k. If I never do 5k again in my life, I'll be more than happy with that. I'm trying to do, I did it last year, 100k in May for, oh you know, do you know Stephen Darby at all? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, for them. Is it the Darby Rimmer Darby Foundation? Darby Rimmer Foundation, yeah. I did it last year. Well, I did it last year, three months, two and a half months after giving birth. So that was yeah, fun. That is that's, easier this year. That's that's very impressive. But again, I'm glad that you did it and not me. Let's just say that. I actually quite like running. Yeah, I, I'm gathering that. I'm gathering it's that. weird for a goalkeeper. Well, you say that. In the last few years of my career, I came across a few goalkeepers that liked it. But it kind of confirms that you're all quite weird. So I've got no issues with that whatsoever. I think it's just because I like food. So I kind of have to <laughs> eat food. I, I, I literally that. would be a beast. I love that. I love that. So without any further ado, are you ready? Yeah. Okay. So Siobhan Chamberlain, I'd like to talk to you today about your playing career and a little bit about your time as a broadcaster as well, if you're up for that. Perfect. And also, and also, I picked you for a reason because I want to talk about women's football and women's sports in general. And I want... Not hot takes, but I want facts. I want people to actually know what's what, as opposed to maybe just hearing some of the fluffy bits on the outside of it. Are you up for that? Yeah, I'll see what I can do. Okay. <laughs> I cool. feel under pressure now. No, no, there's no pressure. There's no pressure. There's no pressure. It's a big deal, but there's no pressure. You don't what's pressure. <laughs> I'm sure you put that into tires. Okay. So you retired, was it last year while you're Man United? Yeah, around well, probably like August, September time, I think. So right at the start of this season that started weirdly late because of all things COVID. Yeah. And so you st- you finished then, but which year did you actually start? Oh, I started playing when I was like, I didn't start playing football until I was about 11. Okay. And I used to do gymnastics and trampolining and all the other sports, but my brother, I had two younger brothers. And they were both played with my dad and I got a bit jealous. So kind of, I wanted to join in and it kind of just went from there. Mm-hmm. But there wasn't really any opportunities. Um, I played, I was from Fulham, supported Fulham. 
and played for like junior black and whites. Okay. Um, and there wasn't a women's team or girls team or anything like that okay. when I started. So it was just for fun, really. And I wasn't very good either. You get these players that are naturally uh, talented and those that have got to work for it. Okay. I was definitely on the work for it side of things. Okay. Okay. And when you started then, were you initially a goalkeeper or were you playing elsewhere? No, I played out pitch to start with. Did you? Um, interesting story. Well, I say it's interesting. It's interesting to me. Cool. Hopefully it will be to others as well. It's why I became a goalkeeper is I just like, I get bored. E- I got bored easily and just wanted to try out different things. And I think it was in year nine at school mm-hmm. and um, we had a hockey lesson. I had no interest in hockey whatsoever, ever. And I saw the goalkeepers got to wear these really cool pads. So I thought, <laughs> well, I volunteered to go in goal. Um, didn't really enjoy it from a hockey perspective, but yeah. thought this is quite fun diving around, like trying to save balls. I think I must have probably put the stick on the ground and been like, right, I'm playing now. Yeah. Um, never played hockey again, but from then on, I was in goal. Okay, so um, I've got a few issues with that, to say the very least. Um, first one being somebody that like gets bored easily. To be a goalkeeper, it's not the most exciting position. Would you agree with that? Depends who you're playing for. <laughs> well, yeah, there is that. There is that, yeah. But then also, like, that, the tale of people moving back the back through the pitch, you start off as a striker, then you're a midfielder, and before you know it, you're a centre-back, and before you know it, you're playing, like, right-back for, like, just running up and down the side. I don't know many people where they finish off going in goal. So, again, like, were you that bad outfield? Probably. Oh, no, I, I liked... I liked playing outfield, but I liked doing different things and kind of, I suppose I got stuck there, which I suppose means that I was probably quite good at it or nobody else wanted to do it, one or the other. And your guess is as good as mine, but considering where I ended up afterwards, I suppose it was the good side. Yeah, I was going to say, because I've got (laughs) you down at playing over 250 club games in your career and also 50 times for England. So clearly you weren't just bored in there. Seems like you did quite well. Yeah, I did all right in the end. Okay, so to go back to when you went, I don't know, this is the thing about women's football around these times. I don't know whether to say full-time, professional or whatever, but when you started your career properly, so people probably know the league now, the WSR, especially seeing teams like Chelsea and so on, because they're, they're a bigger part of the conversation. You know, games are being promoted more. The Champions League yesterday against Barcelona was being promoted. It was, I think, was it on BBC? It's BT Sport. BT Sport, yeah. So it's like, it's a thing. It's a thing. But what was the league like back then? Because it wasn't WSL, was it? No, I mean, when I started playing, um, I think I was like 14 or 15 when I first played senior women's football and I was giving a fake name because you obviously had to be, I think you had to be 16 to be playing open age women's football, but that was all there was. Okay. Um, I, I played with, um, Farrah Williams at the time we okay. were both in the same team together as kids and we had to kind of give these fake names obviously Farrah was a hell of a lot more talented than I was <laughs> well she, um, she did quite well but, yeah she did quite well yeah she, she's done all right out of it um yeah so it was kind of just it was just football there was no real kind of thought of is it professional we trained in a park that kind of had dogs running around on it. This was playing for Fulham at the time as well. It was not, it, it's, a, it's a decent sized club. Yeah. We, we were in a park, dogs running around, people just chilling, having their picnics and we're there running around the park trying to avoid um, mess, mm. shall I say, mm. and potholes and, 
yeah, it, it wasn't taken seriously at all. But the growth that the game has had over that period of time has been absolutely unbelievable. And it's been kind of a real privilege to be a part of that from the start mm-hmm. where we there was no idea that you'd get paid to play. You were just playing because you loved it and because you enjoyed it. Right. Um, and now when you see some of the, the, the contracts the girls are getting now, yeah, I do get a little bit jealous maybe <laughs> that I think maybe I could have been a little bit later, yeah. but I've seen the whole scope of it. I've, I've had a really good experience along the way. I've had to work as well as playing. Um, so that's kind of given me a really good background and back into that now I've finished my career, I'm not stuck in terms of, oh my God, what happens next? Yeah. So when you first started then, was that the, um, was it the woman, the women's Premier League national division? Was that what you were in or you were in a different league? I think so. I can't actually, it's, it's a long time ago. I'm sure my age now. I think it was probably <laughs> the women's Premier League. Um, and I was at Fulham and then Fulham went, Fulham actually went professional back in, I'm not sure whether it's 2001, Mohamed Al-Fayed invested a load of money yeah. and said, I want my team to be professional, I want them to be the best team in the country and to win everything. And they signed a load of star players um, and won everything. Um, I was going into year 11 at that point. So or I was in year 11 going into year 12. So it was my second year of my A-levels. And I've always been quite academic as well. And I don't know if I'd have been offered the opportunity to go professional, but I knew that I wanted to like to stay and continue doing my levels and 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 get that done because that was important to me. Um, and then I so I left Fulham and went and signed for Chelsea. Mm. Interesting story. Farrah Williams was at Chelsea at the time, and she was the one that convinced me to go and sign for Chelsea. Okay. Much to my dad's dismay because yeah, my family would support Fulham. Yeah. Um. And I signed, and a week later she left. Ah, so I was out. okay. Thanks, Farah. Thanks, mate. <laughs> Thanks, Farah. I've got um, I've got a story for you about Farah actually. So I was at the men's FA Cup final this weekend, and I was walking towards my media point, you know, because I'm one of those media schmoozers now and all that stuff. And I saw her coming towards me, and I looked at her, and I was like, "Oh my God, that's that's Farah. That's Farah. Lee. That's Farah. That's Farah." But like, I couldn't really speak. So I was like a little bit starstruck. So I'm looking at her with my mask on, like trying to smile underneath it. And she's looking <laughs> at me like, what is this guy doing? Uh, okay. So then I had to, I tried to send her a message on social media. I'm not sure she'll get it. But yeah, if you if you get the chance to speak to her, please tell oh, her I apologize. I'll let her know you're not a stalker. Yeah, it was, I look so weird. I look <laughs> nuts. I look nuts. And I was like, ah, gosh, I need to try and, I need to try and fix that. So <laughs> when the WPL National was going on, so obviously it's not the same as the WSL, as you've mentioned, because there's been so much great progress. But in those early stages, how many teams were actually full-time, would you say? None. None at all? There were no full-time teams. It was Fulham were the only team. Fulham went professional for, I think it was three seasons, um, because that's when Mohamed al wanted to invest his money. And then Fulham won everything and nobody followed. Yeah. And... It's kind of like, well, what's the point in continuing? I'm yeah. investing all this money. There's no competition. I'm winning everything. It's pointless. Mm-hmm. So then he withdrew all his money. The the team's kind of never recovered from that. Um, it's It just completely collapsed. I think 24 players left the club in a 15-month period or something ridiculous like that. Wow. Um, but yeah, no full-time clubs. Arsenal were the best team at the time, but they weren't training full-time at all. Really? That's that's so interesting because I rem- when I first started watching women's football was when Arsenal were very very dominant. 
like I remember seeing them, seeing Rachel Yankees, Kelly Smiths, and all that. It was oh, it was glorious. It was, it was just it was female vavavoom. But I didn't know that that was the case where they weren't full time because I thought they had to be because I think I'll be honest, as a male, especially back then, you see somebody doing what you're doing and you assume that everything's the same. But mm. for that to be the case, then like this is um. What, firstly, why do you think Arsenal was so successful in that time if they weren't full-time? They they had the best players. I don't know whether that's because they they had a greater link within the men's team. There's always been the the view that Arsenal are linked well with the men. They're supported by the men. Yeah. Um, I don't know whether they recruited well and you see the name Arsenal yeah. at the time of their invincible. It's like you want to play for Arsenal, whether you're whether you're male, whether you're female, mm-hmm. it's kind of it's Arsenal. Mm-hmm. Um they 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 were probably the first team that kind of got players to work within the club to give them a a, a job and give them money without it being for football. So a lot of them were coaches, um, they worked in the laundry room. Right. Um that's what these players play for England. Yeah. Like Casey Stoney used to work in the laundry room at Arsenal. It's, it's, it's crazy when you think back. Mm. And this isn't a long time ago. No, not at all. Um, so, yeah, they were probably the first team that enabled their players to train more because they were all together more, mm-hmm. but they weren't professional by any means. <sighs> this is immediately, I'm, I'm very happy I've got you on because you're, you're talking that talk and that's that's blown my mind massively and we'll get to some other elements within this later on but that's that's very very interesting so you were playing for Chelsea anyway um I think you played for Birmingham as well Bristol in that time but then there's this 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 weird bit this really really weird bit on your Wikipedia the weird bit is when you go and play for Vancouver Whitecaps in a semi-professional league and for was it for one season or half a season you say it's weird. If I add a little bit of context, it's less weird. Listen, this is exactly why I brought you on. <laughs> I, I want all the context. Please deliver it to me. So when the Women's Super League, WSL, started, it started in 2011. Mm-hmm. And it went from being a normal like football season, which runs obviously from, from August time through to, through to May, to being a summer league. So we finished in May at Chelsea, mm-hmm. which is where I was in, in 2010. And then we weren't playing again. In the, the Super League then didn't start until the following March. Right. So it was 10 months with no football. Okay. So a lot of players probably thought, well, I want to play somewhere. So for me, I had the opportunity to go over and play in Vancouver. Um, it, I was there for about four, four or five months, which was the length of their season. Um, because again, it wasn't professional. It was, they had quite a few college players out there. Um, but they had, I think, I think I counted about, because I was talking to someone about it the other day, 10 senior Canadian international players in, in the team. Okay. We had a fantastic team. Okay. Um, and it was a great experience to live on the other side of the world, mm. new culture, new country. And Vancouver is actually my favorite country I've ever been to in the world. I absolutely love it. Just, just, um, just to try and bail, bail her out there. She, she didn't say Vancouver was a country. You heard that was a glitch. She oh, did, she yeah, didn't. Sorry. She didn't say it was a country. Vancouver is definitely. Not a <laughs> she country. didn't say that. Everybody, she didn't say that. Don't worry. Uh, thank you very much for bringing that to no, attention. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was people, just checking that you were listening. No, listen. I, I, all I want to do is listen. The less I talk, the better the stories. That's the beauty of it. <laughs> I'm just here to learn. But Vancouver is an incredible place. When I when I was playing the MLS, I went over there a few times. Like, it it really is stunning. You always hear brilliant things about it. But it's interesting that you had to do that. 
And that theme itself, I think it's something which I saw for the sort of three or so years so far where I've had a more in-depth sort of view of what women's football is, that there are lots of people who are making do because of gaps in times and so on. Like in the, um, in the NWSL when the season would finish, and I see a whole bunch of people going to play in Australia because, you know, from a sort of financial standpoint, yes, you, you are a professional, but the pay doesn't really make you feel as if you have a true job. So people are having to go and do other things to subsidize that money. And again, as a male or just somebody who plays football, I'm looking at someone else playing football and it's very easy to forget that they're not having the same experience. And it's, it's, yeah, it's crazy. But anyway, we're, we're moving forward. But so also from, from that bit, aside from the, the financial aspect of it, the number of games that you get in the women's yeah. game in a season isn't enough. Yeah, there's, 100%. There's, you could play like... There's what twelve teams in in the WSL. Yeah. There's what is that eight? Yeah. Eight ten teams in the in the NWSL, mm. and they play each other a, a couple more times, I think. Yeah. So it's kind of there's not enough games to get a good season, and you hear the men talking about oh, we've played a forty six um, game season, and, and they're fatigued at the end of it. I mean, I'd love to have played forty six <laughs> games in the season. We we're lucky if we got four or six games in four yeah. six months. <laughs> yeah, that's that's again, that's a very very good point, and. It's, uh, we'll get to this. We'll get to this. I've got, I've got something to talk about towards the end, but we'll get to this. So it's very interesting. So when you, when you came back from Vancouver to go and play in the WSL, so you'd, you'd been playing for a few years at this point, but had you ever been professional as the league was being revamped to this new system? No, I'd never been professional and still wasn't even when the WSL started. How many teams were professional at that point? Not many of us. Arsenal, what Arsenal would could you say Arsenal were fully professional? I don't know if any of them were, would you'd necessarily say were fully professional with a whole squad of professional players. Mm-hmm. And that's um, yeah, like again, my mind's been blown of everything. So if I if I appear to like lose my train of thought, it's because I thought I could have this all under control and go in a very linear fashion towards the end of the show. But I'm going all over the place. I'm meandering because I really I didn't expect some of this. So you came back to England anyway, and it's the WSL revamped. I'm sure it was a much needed revamp, but then it seems like it was kind of similar to what came before. But did you see, was it clearly better than, say, when you first started? Or was it just pretty much just the same thing, but with a different name? No, it it was definitely clearly better. There was more media interest. It was well-structured. The teams that had kind of, been accepted into the WSL there was a bidding process they had to kind of put their proposal forward show how they would be sustainable the the stadium that you would play in the facilities they had the funding they had what what they were going to do to develop the game as opposed to just being you're just a team that's there coming up through the leagues that there were there was structure that needed to be achieved and um BT Sport came in right from the beginning um they didn't show a lot of games, but there, there was always a couple of games here and there um, on TV, which was groundbreaking. There was only really the FA Cup final was was ever on on BBC Two. I think it, it was on quite regularly before yeah. that. Um, but I, so I signed for Bristol Academy. Um, I was approached by the manager um, while I was in Vancouver. Actually. I had done some teaching. Um, when I did my degree and my master's up at up at Loughborough University um, and Bristol kind of were run out of a college so they were 
they weren't Bristol City, they weren't Bristol Rovers, they were Bristol Academy. So they were attached to a college set up. They had their own, they were the first women's team to have their own stadium. I say stadium, it's a it's a pitch with a couple of like porter cabin type stands around it. Okay. But we had the best we had the best pitch in the league. We yeah. were the only team that played on that pitch. Okay. Um and it was a great setup. It was like family orientated. And I taught like two or three days a week um to kind of bolster what I was doing um footballing wise. So it was it still wasn't professional. Um, you, but it was a step forward. Did you have like a huge itch to be professional or were you okay with what you were doing? I'd have loved to have been professional, but it wasn't really as if these people are professional. This is what I aspire to be like. Yeah. It was kind of, that's how it is at the moment. There was always the, this is how the game's developing. Yeah. But for me, that was kind of, that was how it was. Mm. And around this time, I think this was, uh, so the Women's Champions League has been going on since 2001. And in the last 10 years, I think, the main forces have been like Leon and like Wolfsburg and, and things like this. So Leon, for example, they, were they professional around the sort of like 2010s, 11s? Do you know what? In all honesty, I'm not sure when they, when they invested. Um, oh. I'm not sure the exact dates, but since they have invested, they, they've take, they've monopolised yeah. women's football completely. So, um, especially in France. Yeah, so I was going to well, say, I say, I say completely until now. Yeah. Um, PSG, obviously coming through with with some great performances and fantastic players, so yeah. it's making it a lot more competitive, which is good. And there's some big investment in Spain as well now, isn't there? With Barcelona, yeah. with Real Madrid as well soon, I think. Are they going to be... Real Madrid, on? yeah, they've just kind of taken over... Uh, I can't remember the name of the other team. They've taken over another team and have just, this season, become named Real Madrid from that. And okay. I'm sure they'll be spending a lot of money on players and investing and recruiting very strongly this season, especially seeing what Barcelona have just done in the Champions League. Yeah, and boy, did they do something. But um, So you then, throughout the years, the league's getting better. But one criticism of women's football, like this, I think you will take, you will probably take this to heart. Like I, I'm not with it because I'm just not that guy. But people, when they want to talk it down, they'll sometimes talk about goal, the goalkeeping standard. Yeah. So through those early years of your career, did you find that you were getting better at the same sort of pace that say maybe the standard and the facilities at say clubs within women's football were, or were you going at a different rate? No, definitely not. I mean, I didn't have a full-time goalkeeper coach until I signed for Liverpool, which was three, four years before I retired. Really? I oh. never had full-time goalkeeping. And there's very few clubs and players that had a full-time goalkeeping coach. So, yes, goalkeepers were well behind the outfield players mm -hmm. and got a lot of stick. But a lot of the time... They weren't up, the goalkeepers weren't up to the standards that they needed to be. And it is easy to say, oh, the goalkeeper's rubbish. Look at, they haven't even dived. But a lot of the time, the goalkeepers weren't as good as the outfield players. Yeah. So they're obviously going to be a target and going to be those that get noticed. But I think it's unfair to criticise so harshly when you're not getting the coaching and you've never had the development that anyone else has. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with you on that 100. Because once I, as I say, once I was in Utah and I was, and I was surrounded by, say, players who were playing for Utah roles at the time, 
in the same stadium, seeing the facilities and seeing the standard and literally speaking to people about their experiences. You try, you start to understand the game more and speaking to you as well about that whole goalkeeping thing and not having coaches. You know, it sounds ludicrous because for me, I've seen I've, every goalkeeper that I've ever played with from the moment I joined City's Academy at the age of 10 had a goalkeeping coach. And yet here you are, somebody who was capped 50 times by England and you're saying you didn't have a goalkeeping coach till probably four years ago. And that's like, it's mind blowing. And you ask yourself, well, why? But again, we'll get to that. Don't jump the gun. Get, Don't get jump the gun. this one. This is a good story for you. Go on then. We're away with England, national senior team, national team on a on a. Um, we, I'm not sure whether it was a qualifier or a friendly we were playing, and the goalkeeper coach couldn't make it for some reason, family requirement or something like that. Kitman took our goalkeeping sessions. Nah, you're joking. <laughs> that that has to be a lie. <laughs> No, I swear to God. And the thing is, we like quite often you, you, you'll know with with goalkeeping sessions, you'll get dragged across, or yeah. you, you you get told what well, you've got twenty minutes doing goalkeeping session, then you're in with in with the outfield players. So I think the the kit man had been told he had twenty minutes or so. Forty five minutes later, they said, right, you're in with us. So he'd gone through the entire week's training. <laughs> In, in one session it was like what on earth is this about <laughs> do you know what I, the thing i'm going to talk about later i'm going to try and bring it in now as well so for all the things which you're saying in the moment do you know that that stuff is wrong or are you none the wiser i think you kind of you value what you've got at the time and you're there and you're training and you're in the environment and it's an elite environment and you're playing for England and you probably you don't want to rock the boat necessarily. You want to get on with things and you want to do the best that you can do, but you probably know at the same time things should be better. Yeah, that's... Uh, so I think as I got older, I became more outspoken about certain issues which I thought were, were wrong. I think when I was younger, I did maybe bite my tongue a little bit or I try and speak to people who maybe could speak up. But the st- every single bit of what you're saying now, if I was in a situation where I knew somebody who was going through that, I would be asking the question, like, why is this acceptable? It's in the same way that I think um, for either a World Cup or maybe Euros or something for women's football, UEFA or someone would happily present the event on AstroTurf. But then I think to my li- in my life how many times I've seen a men's tournament feature AstroTurf because the moment one AstroTurf field is even suggested – a country would be just blocked off the list. Like, well, no, we're not going to play the men there. But then for the women, it's like, yeah, we're thinking about it because, you know, this is, we think this is a good thing. And I don't know. Um, I'm, I'm very happy I've brought you on because as I say, there's more to come. There's a lot more to come. Okay. So another thing as to, to get very, very real. So you have a beautiful baby daughter. Yes. And I do. you had her last year, was it? Yeah. So January... 2020 okay like six weeks before lockdown <laughs> as you Fun do times. as far as timing goes yeah um so this is this is quite a personal question but was there ever a thought that you would try and you would have had a child sooner if you could yeah potentially i think it's such a difficult situation and thing like i always knew that i wanted kids yeah but that was not like that that wasn't a question and I've been with my husband we've been married now for five years 
been together for 10 years and we've always known that we wanted to have children but I was a footballer I loved playing football yeah and was doing quite well um and did I feel that I could take not it's not just nine months that the, the second you announce that you're pregnant you can no longer play and you're not just going to bounce straight back from have, having a baby yeah. to, to playing again it's probably a good 18 months at least yeah. out of the game I there's no way that I felt I could necessarily do that um so yeah it definitely was something that had to be considered um yeah do you think do you think you would have done it if you had more appropriate support from the clubs that you were at and the league as well or do you think you would have kept it the same I don't know it's it's a difficult one I think because of where I was, I was enjoying playing football as well. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, I, yeah. I was in a position where, like say 2015, the World Cup was fantastic. 2017, the, the Euros. And that was a time when I felt I was enjoying my football um, internationally, probably more so than domestically because of situations w- with club football. Yeah. But I was, it was a time when the game was growing so much and developing so fast that I'd probably missed out on a lot when I was younger because it wasn't a fully professional game so I probably felt like I had more to cram into those final years yeah again that's that's very very interesting and to tell you a story from my side about the sort of parallels there because you know as you say as a woman who would want to have a child it's essentially 18 months away from the game I'll never forget there was a time when I was at QPR and we had some people come in from the PFA and they said something which like I completely disagreed with but anyway they were talking about other things then they said you know these are your rights as a player, so on and so forth. And he said, if you have a child that you're actually entitled to two weeks paternity. And I said, ah, cool. But then he said, but don't do that. Just come back after a couple of days so you can play at the weekend is what somebody representing the, the players union said to a player about like time, which they're entitled to spend with their newborn and their family. And I was like, I was fighting it straight away. But again, I look at the, the parallels and you know we can take two weeks but we can also just come back the next day someone could give birth today and we can come back tomorrow and we've had a child which has impacted our lives but it's not impacted our career at all we could have had a child every year for a duration of our careers but then still had full careers at the same time and like i say that's again you just some things are so obvious once somebody says it but until somebody says it you don't really think about it from that perspective so from the female side of things like the game is affecting your lives far more than it is for a male when it comes to the actual like true side of what life is post football, because for some females, you know, not necessarily yourself, but for some females, maybe they, they wait until their career is finished before they go out and even try and have a child, but then look at they're a bit older and so on and so forth. And it's probably not going to be as easy as say maybe it was when they were younger, but yeah. Anyway, 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 I've got to keep going. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm enjoying this too much. So 2018, 19 comes. Yeah. And you join one of the biggest football clubs in the world in Manchester United. But, but it's Manchester United women and they're in the newly formed and they're in the championship. Yeah. First, I want to know, like, what made you make that move to go and play for such a dirty team like Man United, considering you played at Liverpool beforehand? <laughs> what, what was the reasoning for that, especially to drop down to the championship? Well, my time at Liverpool was not one that I particularly enjoyed, especially towards the, the end of it. It was a club that 
there's there's a lot gone on at Liverpool since then. They've been relegated in the year that their men won won the the, the Premier League. That okay. they're not funded. It's not like they're, they're the same club. Yeah. We trained and played at Widnes on 3G. Um, I think the only similarity, the only way that you'd know that we were Liverpool is from the kit that we played in. Right. Um, that there was no link really with the club, and it wasn't a time that I enjoyed playing football at all. I think. If I hadn't been playing internationally, I probably wouldn't have necessarily continued um, because it, I, I hated it. Okay. Um, so I was leaving Liverpool at the end of the season, regardless of the whole Manchester United situation. Um, and then Casey Stoney, who obviously got the job as Manchester United manager, she was my roommate at England for 10 years. She's a really good friend mm-hmm. and obviously had a conversation with her and heard all about Manchester United's plans and they were incredible. And I think everyone knows how big Manchester United is as a club. Yeah. But until you're actually in it, apologies. No, apologies no, if no. you hear a baby crying. It's fine. This <laughs> is just this having is, a, a little whimper. This is the realest podcast you can find out. Yeah. <laughs> this is real life. Um, yeah, as big as yeah, until was. you're until you're actually in it, you don't realise how big this club is. It is it's huge. Okay. Um, and the chance to play for for that club to be kind of the first ever goalkeeper at Manchester United, part of that first ever team. Yeah. Was was an incredible opportunity to have, and I knew that going in, what Casey was doing would make me fall in love with football again. And that's what I needed. I just needed to be enjoying football. Yeah. Um, but you, you talk about being in the championship, especially as a goalkeeper, I knew it would have been incredibly frustrating because we would have been comfortably, we were comfortably beating teams. Yeah. Um, the training environment was good. Um, I felt like I was playing well. Um, we obviously had a lot of cup games against higher opposition, which we did really well in. But the most frustrating thing for me was I had a conversation with Phil Neville before I made the, the decision. And he was England manager at the time and said, look, I'm, I'm considering this. But if it's going to affect my, my chances of getting selected for England, then it's something that I need to consider. Yeah. And his response to me was, so long as my goalkeepers are playing regularly, playing well, it doesn't matter to me what league they're playing in. Okay. And that kind that kind of made it easy for for me. And he suggested, obviously, as a as a former Manchester United player, who's probably very hot on the club. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that, it was a no brainer. And regardless of anything that happened with England afterwards, it's not a decision I regret at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I never got picked again for England. Oh, and wow. the goalkeepers that he were was picking weren't even playing for their clubs. So I'm kind of like, well. Managers are entitled to make their own decisions. That's not something that you can question, but at least be honest yeah. with why you're making the decision. That, that's kind of my only frustrations with the whole dropping down to the championship was that potentially did that cost me my England position or was that just an easy out for it? I don't know. That's um, Managers, managers, managers. Do you know whether managers are good, bad, indifferent and so on? I think as long as they're honest, you can always give them time. And I think for somebody to basically be in front of you and to say something and say it as strongly as that, but then to not back it afterwards, I think that's as weak as it comes. 
and I'm not going to I'm not going to find him on social media and attack him or anything like that <laughs> but I don't like that I don't like that at all and I think that's a shame that people still feel like they have to lie to their players because for a player you know you don't expect everything to be rosy but if you're honest if somebody's honest with you you can figure out what to do next because if somebody says mm. if someone says I don't I don't like you as a player but you know you might prove me wrong you might try and prove them wrong or if they say they love you as a player and they pick you all the time like you're happy because you've got that but when you when like somebody will just say something and then now you've lost all control because they've said it and now they're done and they've moved on. I think that's so, so poor. But anyway, 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 right. This is the moment we're going to do. On track. We'll get, well, I'm on track. Keep going forward. Continuous improvement. Yeah. So we're, um, I'm going to have a proper talk now. Yeah. And at times I might, I might play devil's advocate over certain issues. Yeah. But just, you know me, like, I don't believe some of the stuff I'm going to say, but I'm just trying to do it. Offer, I'm trying to offer a different perspective. Yeah. So, it's clear and obvious then that women's football has improved from when you first started to this point here, yeah. But how has it improved? Like, is it are the players better? Is it is it improved because the coaching's better? Is it improved because there are more teams, more investment? Like, what's making it better? All of the above. Just everything. I think every, a combination of everything. You're more. You've got professional teams now, so they're training more often. The facilities are better. The coaches are better, they're higher standards. I think when we first started um, playing, a lot of good coaches did come into the women's game. But then if you're a good coach, you get spotted then by the club and then you go for a job in the men's team because it's professional. Yeah. Or you go into men's football. That That's the step up. It's, oh, I'm a good goalkeeper coach. I'm coaching a couple of days a week. I want to progress. So I progress into the men's, men's setup. Yeah. So you lose a lot of the good coaches. Um, I think a big thing is the the broadcasting and the media awareness and the media coverage mm-hmm. because a lot of young girls weren't aware of what was going on. Mm-hmm. Like I never knew anything about an England team, even though it wasn't professional or anything. There was still an England team when I was a kid. Yeah, but I didn't have any role models, and I think these young girls now growing up with role models, being able to aspire to be a professional, brings more people into the game. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you look at, there was a picture of the FA Cup final a couple of years ago when Georgia Stanway and Steph Horton were both playing together for Manchester City and they lifted the trophy together. Yeah. Georgia Stanway went to watch Steph play. Uh, like, at I'm not sure if it's at Wembley or went to watch her play when she was a kid. Mm-hmm. And so these young players coming through now have had the benefit of, having these role models, having these players that they can go and watch and aspire to be. So you've got players coming through now that have kind of loved the game and been a part of the game for so much longer. Okay. That's that's very, very true and very, very interesting because it is a lot more visible now. And the whole role model thing is definitely a thing because as, as you said yourself, for you, maybe you didn't necessarily have that in England to be able to see yourself. But then ask about the game itself and its growth. You're talking there about pathway for, say, young girls to see people as footballers and to see them as being idols and see maybe the pool in terms of players available to do the to play the game has increased. But does that make the sport more legitimate or do you need more males involved in terms of watching it and to add to that visibility for it to be more credible? Because as you mentioned before, when you were talking about Liverpool's United and so on and so forth, like or say the Arsenal factor, People want to come and play for Arsenal, but is that because of the Arsenal men? And as a female playing in that sport, 
do you actually like the fact that you get certain perks because you're associated with a successful men's team or is it better to be a woman's team that can stand by themselves? There's so much in that question. I know, I just started, um, I started me under I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I was, I was all I, over the place. I, I think that there's benefits to both. I think I go back to my time at Bristol Academy and they were the first three years of the FAWSL and we got to two FA Cup finals we qualified for, we played in the Champions League twice. We got to the the final game of the season where we played Liverpool and whichever team won that game won the league. And we weren't a big club. Yeah. We were just Bristol Academy. We just had a great group of players that performed well. We we definitely overachieved, but we, we were standalone. But that could never happen now because of the amount of investment, the amount of finance there is in the game. Mm-hmm. At it, Bristol City, who kind of Bristol Academy became Bristol City got relegated this season yeah. and it's such a shame to see them go down but have they got the finances to be able to compete with the, those top clubs they probably haven't because yeah. it's a drop in the ocean the amount that you need for for women's football for these top clubs but for the clubs like Bristol City for the clubs probably like Birmingham um those lower down the table and those potentially in the, in the championship that have been regulars in the women's game. Mm-hmm. It's so hard to compete now and it has lost a little bit, Yeah, but for it to progress, for it to develop, I think it needs the, these big teams and this big investment because that's what's driving the game forward. That's what's bringing in like foreign talent that yeah. is taking the game to another level and improving those English young players at the same time. With that though, with that though, because I, I do agree with that. And it's interesting that so obviously Chelsea were attempt going for the quadruple yesterday, but they missed out. But in terms of the league, they only finished two points ahead of Man City. So Man City are obviously a significant force as well. And I think it was Arsenal behind them. Then was it Man United or something? Yeah. Well, the league itself then, is it not a case that, say, even though it's a league unto itself, the people who are playing for Chelsea and playing for Man City are having a far different experience to the people who are playing for Aston Villa and playing for Bristol? So realistically, has the whole standard gone up or is it a few clubs who have really taken off and everybody else is in a pretty similar position, except now they're fighting against teams who are so much better? I think the whole standard has increased, definitely, without, without a shadow of a doubt. But those top teams have invested heavily and they are a step above everybody else. You look at, obviously, you've got, you got Chelsea and Man City that were the top two. You've got Manchester United that had they managed to keep a lot of their star players fit, would have definitely been challenging a little bit higher up. Mm-hmm. Arsenal, who have been fantastic. They won the league a couple of seasons ago, so they've got a great squad. They're another one that strangely suffer with so many injuries it, it's crazy but those four teams are are the big teams the big teams in the men's game yeah um that have the finances to be able to invest mm-hmm. and they are stepping away from everybody else but it will be interesting how tottenham progress how leicester that have just been promoted from the championship and um, what they do with their investment because it's interesting you can invest a decent amount of money and be kind of a mid-table team that looks like they're doing quite well in the in the WSL. Yeah. Or it's going to take a significant amount more to break into that top two. Yeah. So how much do clubs actually believe and want to be up there and be the best? Mm-hmm. Or are they happy 
been there or thereabouts because they're performing well and not necessarily spending too much money. Okay. So do you think then overall the perception around women's football, especially in England, has improved across the years to the point whereby it's looked at as a legitimate thing now? Yeah, definitely. I think there's still a long way to go because I don't think there's the strength in depth across the whole league. But you could say that was in the Premier League. Yeah. You wouldn't necessarily have two of the like bottom teams playing on Sky Super Sunday and have amazing viewing figures mm-hmm. because there is such a big gap between the top and the bottom of the Premier League. I, I believe there is anyway. Yeah, yeah. And it's more so in the in the women's game. And I think as the game continues to develop, um, that gap will probably get bigger, but it will also improve the the lower levels by they'll have better standard players. Yeah. Because they won't be out that there'll be a greater pool of players to choose from, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does, yeah. It does. Right. So we hear um lots of talk about equal pay, etc. But um I was going to ask why do you think it's not there currently, but a sidebar to that, which I think is in some ways maybe more important, is there's the talk of equal pay, but then there's also the talk of equal treatment. So I think it was this last year when you saw the, I don't know if you saw it, but the, in the NCAA, the March Madness tournament, the men's side and the women's side, and the men's side, they had a gym which was like the most impressive thing in the world ever. But in the women's side, it's like somebody's got a home gym and that's going to cater to all the teams who were there. So when you see different, like a significant disparity in terms of that type of treatment, like I ask myself the question, and I want to ask you this: Do you think it's intentional? I wouldn't necessarily say it's intentional in terms of, of we don't want to give the women anything. I think a lot of it is a subconscious bias, and they just think this is what we have to give to the men. That's what they demand. That's what they need. That's what they have to have, and then the women it's kind of an afterthought sometimes Mm -hmm. well what what kind of fits in what else what else have we got um in terms of kind of that ncaa um setup it looked like kind of well we've got an extra bench (laughs) why don't we just give it give it to the women they could they can use it maybe um it, it, it looked absolutely crazy yeah um but i think so I've lost lost it, my chain of thought completely here. Yeah, it's it's the the bigger question I want to ask really is how do you address those disparities? How how it was the yeah sorry equal pay equal opportunities yeah because I had stuck in my head equal pay because my thing lots of people have always said do you think there should be equal pay and I would say well no because why should the women get paid the same as the men if they don't produce and like. We don't have 80,000 people a week coming to watch us play. Mm -hmm. We don't sell hundreds of thousands of shirts. We don't bring in revenue from TV rights that's getting that amount of money. Mm -hmm. So how can we then turn around and say, you should be paying us that amount? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's, that's, listen, as it's an, it's an interesting topic because there's some significant views on it and people shouting from both sides, like really, really shouting. So it's in, in, Amer- in America, I completely get their whole kind of not even equal pay. The American female players should get paid more because they bring in more to the to the country. They bring in more income. They have bigger crowds. They win more. They're more successful. So it's kind of the flip of what it is in England. Mm. 
again, I'm not going to dive into this one just yet. I'll save this one for uh, <laughs> for off mic. But like, uh, if we talk about this sort of English perspective of it, then what do you reckon is more important: the quest for equal equal pay or for equal treatment? Which one? Which one do you think is should be more valued? One hundred percent equal treatment, because I think take finances out 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 of the question. I think a lot of players, especially within the women's game, through long term, kind of those that have been there for, for for a long period of time, they're not in it for the money. Not saying you shouldn't like be worried about getting paid and being treated the right way financially, but you want to have a good experience. You want to enjoy what you're doing. You're, you're playing football. You're having the opportunity to do something that so many people would dream to do. Yeah. And you want to be able to do it the right way and enjoy what you're doing, not say, yeah, I'm, I'm a professional footballer, but I hate what I'm doing. I, I enjoy being out there on the pitch, but yeah. everything around it is just drama and real, real hard work. So, I know there'll be people who'll be listening who'll be desperate for me to send a takeout on the equal pay debate. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to, I'm going to meander my way through this one. Okay. So I think if there is a greater investment in terms of making sort of facilities and stuff the same as the men, then I think the standard improves to the point whereby there's more money that becomes invested into the game. And as a consequence, there'll be more pay available to the athletes. So therefore that's my take and I didn't say anything, but that's my, that's my take. Um, yeah, no, do you know what? I, I completely agree with you there. And I think the way the women's games invest in with um, the, the the new like title sponsorship and the money coming into the game, there's more money going into clubs. At the moment, women's clubs, I say women's clubs, the women's team is being funded by money that's made by the men's team. That's yeah. the, the way long term it's been looked at. But the women's team should be bringing in, they should be part of these sponsorship deals. If you've got shirt sponsors, whether it be Adidas, Nike, Puma, they should be sponsoring the club. Yeah. And having the women's team should be factored into that. So yeah. it's not just, it's a men's team shirt sponsorship mm -hmm. and the women are just kind of getting to wear the shirt. Yeah. It's the women's team are a part of this club. And are you paying extra because you're sponsoring a women's team as well? Yeah, yeah, I'm with you on that. I'm with you on that. So how do you think then, this is a very, this can be a very broad question. This is a broad question, so a broad answer could come. But how do you think you actually end up growing the game then? Because we can talk about investment and so on. But when we talk about investment, we have to look at football for what it is. And for probably 99% of people who want to invest in things like football clubs, they want a return. They want to be seen as profitable. It's, it's more than just, say, image itself. So how do you grow the game without essentially doing it in a way which almost feels artificial because maybe someone invests into one particular team or one particular thing, but overall it doesn't help the game because maybe it's not actually improving. Like, How do you think you grow the game? I think it's, it's easy to say you do it from grassroots level, you get more clubs, you get more girls into football. You invest for, for, from the bottom up and kind of I think that's the FA's strategy of we need to get more girls playing football. You need to double the number of girls, girls teams and all of that kind of structural side of it. But I think ultimately you've got to have investment at the top as well. And you've got to have clubs that have a desire to really have a women's team because they want a women's team that, that is successful like yeah. their men's team. Mm -hmm. I think that's that's the, the, the difference that you have with um, 
like in England and in America, the, the American teams aren't necessarily linked yeah. to a big historical traditional men's team. So whether long term that's better or, or not as good, that there's obviously there's so much debate that you could have around that. But where you have got teams like Manchester United, Chelsea, Arsenal, Manchester City, like it's great that they can help the team and the game grow. But there's kind of a responsibility within that to help from the from the bottom up and have the right facilities in place, the right structure in place. I've spoken about role models and, yeah. and broadcasting rights and all that side of it. But I think it's it is a, a real responsibility of these of these big clubs, the top clubs, to to do things the right way. Mm -hmm. I'm with you on that. And the only issue I have realistically is what you've said there. I feel it is the rights, the moral thing to do, as is the case with making sure that facilities are the same for men and women. But for some, because they don't make money from it, they'll always see it as a burden. So we're almost like we go around in circles with this thing whereby someone knows, like you can call something out and they'll acknowledge it, but then they might invest. But then when they look at the numbers on a spreadsheet for the next year and they look at what came in for what they invested, they'll be like, well, what's the point? But anyway, let's move on from that. We'll continue this at some other point in the future, I'm sure. Whether it's on air or off air, I'm not sure. But now to talk about you as a, as a I'm, by the way, do you like the word pundit? I don't I don't really consider myself as I don't really I don't really have a like broadcaster, pundit, co commentator. Yeah, I kind of just do bits of media. You do everything. Does that work? You do everything. <laughs> yeah. You do everything. So I don't like I don't really like the word pundit because I feel like it really like pigeonholes you. So I somebody said I was a good broadcaster the other day and I'm gonna roll with that. So I'm I'm a broadcaster. So are you a pundit or are you a broadcaster? I'm a broadcaster. Yes, the best kind. <laughs> so for the stuff you've been doing then, because I see you doing stuff for MUTV, we've done stuff for the BBC as well. I'm sure you've been every, you've done stuff for Sky as well, because I see you on there. So, and you're not just talking about women's football, are you? That's the thing. You're talking about everything. No. So, have you felt you've been able to be yourself and be respected in the same way as, say, your other male counterparts? Yes or no? Joe, I, f I feel like I have touch wood so far I haven't really had any negative backlash that I've seen on social media that I know a number of female pundits broadcasters yes. have done yeah I think I probably feel an added pressure to make sure I've done a lot of research to make sure that I know exactly what I'm talking about because I think as a female, if you get something wrong, you're going to get caught out and you're going to get called up for it mm -hmm. straight away. Whereas I think males probably have a bit of an easier ride in terms of that they're not necessarily going to get criticised as quickly or as easily. Yeah, which is, um, you've said it and you've said it in a very just like mild-mannered way, but that's a whole load of nonsense, what you've just said there. The fact that you have to be over-prepared because you can't afford to make a mistake because you might get... Um, not cancelled or whatever, but people might write you off because immediately they see you as a female and they immediately doubt you. Even though you're, you've watched the game and you've played the game, which is more than 99% of the people who are watching the TV or listening to you on the radio, but you're not legitimate unless you're spitting the exact facts and you know the exact minute that someone scored this goal and you know where the person was born and what they did last week and all this. Yet still, we, you know, we see in the media people who are like incredibly underprepared for some of the stuff that they're doing 
and they say some of the wildest things. Like even me when I was playing, I'd hear someone say something. I'm like, where has that come from? But it's okay though, because it's it's a male. But anyway, that was a little rant. I apologize, everyone. <laughs> so what would you say then? Because I was talking about a negative then, you hinted at a negative. But what would you say the best thing has been about a female talking about the men's game? I don't really think of it as in a female talking about the men's game. Yeah. I see it as a footballer talking about football. football. Okay. And I think I've really enjoyed talking about the men's game, as you as you put it, um, which it is. And I'm. I'm just, I no, did, I was talking um, specifically when you talk about when you talk about like the Premier League, not yeah, the no, no, I know, yeah. I know what you mean, but I mean kind of like. It's interesting, like it's interesting the the dynamic of talking about men's football, talking about women's football, yeah, or just talking about football, yeah, because that's what you see. So it works a complete other way when you sometimes have male broadcasters that are on the the crew for, say, the the women's World Cup or the women's Euros, and you're like, what do they know about women's football? Mm-hmm. I'm like, well, is that not the other way around? Why would you, as a woman? then be able to step in you can't you can't have it both ways like your football's football yeah it it is it is um you can have it both ways if you want that if you want to make a point you can totally have it both ways um and no but i think i think for me i had the the honor and the privilege of commentating or co-commentating on bbc5 live for fulham which is the club that i've grown up supporting and to to co-commentate on them in a premier league game yes they didn't win unfortunately but that was that was pretty amazing yeah that's cool i I like that and i hope and i hope that as i say this whole broadcaster side of things i hope it is something that's available to people who have experience of playing football not just people who've come from a certain place or whatever because even on tv now we see like to get into certain studios you need to have won five premier leagues been involved in six champions league games or whatever and yeah even though it doesn't necessarily mean you can speak english but it's fine as long as you've got those medals around your neck as you walk in i think that's where i've done quite well i've played for manchester united arsenal chelsea and liverpool (laughs) so i've got most bases covered yeah the jigs up you've exposed yourself (laughs) you've exposed yourself um okay so (sighs) Do you know what? I've just realised it's got really dark in this room since we've been talking. Yeah. I look like I've just got one light coming on the side Listen, of me instead of having the light on the it's, it's all good. It's all good. Like, you think you're doing what you're Spooky doing. Light. I'm literally <laughs> sitting on a chest of drawers with my stuff on an ironing board looking out of the window. Like, that's my. this is my professional studio setup. This is where I'm at in the world. Um, okay. Bigger question here, yeah. Um, how do you think you'll be able to change the perception with a sport, and we'll talk specifically about football, which overall is viewed as a male sport. How do you reckon you can really get women's football to be seen in the same light as men's overall, or say by the majority, instead of just a few people who, well, not a few people, but say a smaller percentage of people who are truly invested in the game itself? I think time. I think it will take a long period of time. And I think it is definitely improving. If you look back five years, 10 years, you never saw that many, if any, female, f- former um, female players 
doing much broadcasting at all, let alone like Premier League games, let alone Alex Scott being the the presenter of Football Focus. Yeah. Like that would never have happened five or ten years ago. And the growth that it's had and the way that the women's game is progressing, the investment that clubs are having, I think social media is huge because it gives them that platform and that exposure. Um, the coverage that's increasing, BBC and Sky have got the rights for, from next season moving forward. So having more coverage is, is going to help. But th- th- there's so many areas that you could look to, isn't there? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm with you on that. So one, uh, here's here's a sales pitch. Yeah, here's the big moment sales pitch. You've, you've, I've got two questions, but this is the first one. Okay, so I, I, this isn't for me because I, I watch women's football. In fact, let me just be broad, like you said before. Like I watch football, so if there's a game going on, even if it's outside my window now, if it's a game, I'm gonna watch the game. Doesn't matter who's playing in the game or what type of game it is. Like I watch football, so I see football from all across the world all different sexes, all different leagues. I just love watching football. But why should somebody who's traditionally not watched women's football, specifically the WSL, why should they tune into that next season? It's enjoyable. It's fast. It's not, it's not, I say it's fast. I'm like, the tempo is good. It's, there, there is intensity to games. I think sometimes people look at the game, they're like, all right, it's a bit slow. But you compare that to, to men that are absolutely rapid that are just sprinters yeah and it's just so direct and you don't necessarily get the the quality all the time obviously at the top level we'll we'll take that aside we'll talk about men's football just in general all of men's football isn't just the premier league yeah um but the, the quality the skill level the honesty and integrity i think as well i think that's spoken about quite a lot that you don't get the diving, the rolling around. Oh, hey, 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 less of that, you. <laughs> Just say it. It's true, it's true. No, but it, it, is, true. it is a big thing because you do hear it mentioned all the time. Like in the women's game, players just get up. Yeah. Yes, it, it it does happen probably a little bit more now than it did before. Um, But it's not something that's associated with the women's game. And I think that's a real strong point of it, especially when you've got kids and families come in to watch the game and I think that that's a real big thing as well is it's a real family environment at most games and I know some parents and some families don't necessarily want to take their kids to to men's games where there's huge crowds because of the language because of the some of the like abuse that's shouted at players and referees yeah but I remember the Manchester United, when I first signed for Manchester United, they've got the Barmy Army and it's a supporter. So the supporters are unlike any others in the league. Mm-hmm. They are absolutely insane, but in a good way, of course. Mm-hmm. But they had, um, they, they've got a songbook, but they changed the words in the songbook from swear words to, to polite words. Yeah. They had the same effect, yeah. but they'd hand them out to the kids and the kids could sing these songs. So it was such a nice environment, but it was still Manchester United. It was still a tense football environment. And I think that that is a real strong point of the the women's game is how family friendly it, it is as well. Yeah. Okay. Well, count me in. But. I'm not sure how good I was at selling that then. No, you we'll sold it. You sold it to me. You sold it to me. But. You already sold. Yeah, I was to be fair. But. But. I will be supporting Man City. So when the derby rolls around next season, 
if you're commentating, I'll try and do the cold comms on the other side. I'll sling you some stick. How about that? Yeah. <laughs> well, Man- Manchester City have had a great season. Yeah. I mean, coming close to, to winning it both th- this season and last season, they'll probably be gutted about that. And having lost the two Americans yeah. is, is, isn't too great for them. But it'll be interesting to see who they sign this, this off-season. But did they keep Dalkemper? Is she still there? I think so. I think she she then just joined. I'm not sure how long she signed for. Right. Okay. Well, my final question, this is the same one that goes for every guest that I have on who's played the game. I want to know now a five-a-side team of the best players that you've played with throughout your career. And I threw the, and I didn't give you prior warning about this, so this is going to be as real as it gets. Am I in it? Have I got to put myself Absolutely in it? not. Get yourself out of your whatever we call it, <laughs> the arrogance. Am I in my own five-a-side team, best players? Relax. Um, Kelly Smith gotta be in it a thousand percent like there's no question Farrah Williams correct I think I've got to put Katie Stoney in there just because she was your old she was friend and your boss yeah. I see how this works she's my roommate for 10 years yeah I see how this works um what's that three that's three i've got to pick a a goalkeeper haven't i yeah sorry obviously it's a bit it's a bit tricky from that perspective (laughs) (laughs) or maybe you don't have to pick a goalkeeper maybe pick just five outfielders who will do everything five outfield players yeah that's disrespecting goalkeepers then isn't it saying you don't really need a goalkeeper well if you don't if you're struggling to pick one as well then that's also disrespecting goalkeepers but yeah right i'm gonna put fran kirby in there yeah she's not that fran fran farrah Casey, Kelly Smith, one other. Oh. This is really hard. So I'm going to kick myself after I've done it and thinking, how did I forget this person? That's exactly how we like to do it. We like to make you feel like you've messed up. But yeah, there'll still be a good team either way. So go for it. Just one yeah, more. Yeah, definitely. Just one more. Do I need structure or can it just be anyone? Listen, if you believe... Oh, it's anyone. It's five aside. It doesn't matter. I'm not even picking a goalkeeper. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, We'll go with, let's go with Yanks. Yanks is an absolute legend. Yeah, she is, yeah. She is. She was, um, so when I was younger, I was with Umbro and she was like the star of Umbro. I remember thinking of Rachel Yankee, like that's, she's proper. And then she's, is she still doing a thing with uh, CBBS or BBC, BBC, which used to do the, sure, yeah, it's kid stuff. Yeah, she's, yeah, that's a, she's a legend. And just for the record, I wrote down three players who I thought you'd pick. And I got two of the three right, and the two were Kelly Smith and Farrah Williams. So yeah, you can't who, say. Who was the other? Don't, let's not worry about that. Let's not worry. Come about on. That. No, no. You put me on the spot. I've got to put you on the spot. No, to be fair, I, I put a name down, but I was actually initially, yeah, it, you didn't play with them, so it doesn't count. Doesn't count. But that's a that's a very very good team, and I I really I've to be fair for Kelly Smith, Farrah Williams. Uh, Rachel Yankee to a, to a certain extent Frank Kirby but not so much Casey Stoney because she's a defender I've enjoyed watching the other ones I enjoyed watching those guys a lot so yeah that's a very good team and just like that I want to say thank you very much for coming on the show I think for everybody who maybe didn't know the ins and outs of what it's like to be a professional in the women's game they found out today and it's a very very interesting story but I'm glad it's one that gets better as every page turns so long may that be the case and keep doing what you're doing and hopefully get the chance to do some more broadcasting with you in the future because we're not pundits we are broadcasters 
<laughs> Thank you very much for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. So take care of yourself and speak to you soon. Bye-bye. So there you have it. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. And if so, make sure you hit subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. And please don't forget to rate and review the show on iTunes. But now, to close, I'd like to say a big thank you to the man, the myth, and the podcast production legend that is Mr. Ryan Hale. Thanks for making all of this possible. And finally, love to all the listeners still here. But for now, I'm out. Stay safe. Speak to you all real soon.